when I was going through RCIA and I heard people's story, the beauty in all that, Casey and Aaron, the beauty in all of this is that the story is the same. Welcome back into the Baptist Catholic Show, everybody, where we're sharing Catholicism with Baptist fervor. Baptist fervor. Yep. Yeah, that's right. So we are pumped today because we have one of our friends on the podcast with us, a former minister in the Baptist Church, the old regular Baptist Church, that is, uh, Damon Sexton. So we're excited to have you, Damon. Thanks for coming on. Yep. This is going to be fun. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. Yeah. Awesome. Damon unfortunately has to work with Casey too. So right. he, you know, picked the short straw to come and talk to us tonight. So yeah, no, he had to say yes, is basically what we're saying. Yeah. Uh so yeah, we're really excited. Um, one of the things we've kind of mentioned this with the reboot of this podcast is our niche really needs to be, or we want our niche to be conversion stories not just the stories but kind of the things that led up to them maybe the different difficulties that people have had um that just seems like the language that we know Mm -hmm. and that people relate to so we're excited to have damon with us kind of just give his background um from that old regular baptist but from even before that so damon we're the first thing i think we're going to do is just kind of step back a little bit maybe tell us a little bit about yourself first maybe the state of life you're in now and then going back to those earlier days. Yeah, so um, I converted to Catholicism 2018. Um, I've been married to a cradle Catholic for uh, near 28 years now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, we share four children, four boys. And um, past life, I've uh, pastored Baptist churches, uh, worked a lot of social services, a lot of community outreach. Um, and so now here I am. In the same office of Casey, I was kind of actually wondering if you guys, everybody said no, because I was wondering why it was so long for me to get on this show, right? Well, I've been listening. I've been a long time listening, it. right? <laughs> long time listening, first time caller. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so that's awesome. So yeah, that's, um, why don't you take us back? Like, were you, were you born into a, a Baptist household or your parents on fire so, Baptist? No. So, um. As you could tell, my accent, I'm from the eastern part of the state, eastern Kentucky. I grew up between Wattsburg and Hazard. Um, my parents actually, as adult believers, I was probably, I think, 1979. So I was about six years old. Uh, and my parents said, uh, uh, it was, I was so young, I didn't really realize what was going on at the time. Uh, but they had attached themselves to an old regular Baptist church, which is really not uncommon. That term is not uncommon within. Uh, and we'll get into that in just a minute. It's it's very yeah. regional. It's very specific, uh, that particular sect of Baptist. A um, couple of years later, my dad uh, announced a con- uh, call in to preach. He entered into the ministry. He was ordained into the gospel in 1981. And then my religious life really took shape. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they, My parents, I would consider them uh, pretty hyper-religious uh, uh, early on, especially when you're new to any faith. You know, a lot of times people jump in there uh, in fuego with it. I and, don't know what uh, you're talking about. <laughs> no. So, uh, you know, it, it felt like when, uh, you know, you hear some people say we were at church all the time. Literally, it felt like we were at church all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I kind of wondered, um, as most teenage kids do, uh, especially around a lot of the Baptist faiths, 
Uh, I had my wandering years through my teenage years. I wouldn't really call them super rebellious, but I always, uh, we always had faith in the home. We always had ministers over, dad being a pastor, mom hosted. We hosted a lot of traveling visitors, um, a lot of pastors, a lot of preachers, deacons that would come into the area on revivals. And so our home was really always filled with some sort of context from about the time I was six years old uh, and picked up when I was eight. Um uh, my, like most, uh, I went to college. I kind of explored uh, around, and um, it wasn't that other faiths weren't necessarily shared. I mean, uh, being from Kentucky itself, you know, it's not hard to find a church about every half mile. Mm-hmm. And so in our community, uh, sprinkled were um, Presbyterian, missionary, um, Methodist, uh, free will Baptist, uh, really the, the gauntlet, what wasn't there was the Catholic church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It, it mm-hmm. wasn't there. And so I think one of the things that gets lost in people in, in certain uh, regions, especially, uh, anything East of Winchester, um, is that the Catholic footprint, really, it's not there. And, and religion and faith is woven so deep into a culture that um, there's really no separation. It's it's truly uh, how you identify with who you are as a person. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I'd always, well, what church do you belong to? What church do you belong to? You know, as if someone owned you, like, mm-hmm. what right. do you belong to? You know, mm-hmm. and so that was the best way to identify uh, back home. So uh, Catholicism was something that I only saw on TV. Yeah, right. how it was portrayed in movies exorcism. or um yeah exorcism uh mafia movies you yeah, know right. uh no matter how bad no matter how bad you were no matter how many people you had killed somehow or another it connected back to the catholic church you you were you know and so yeah that that's a little bit about um i don't know how how far you want to go in it wasn't no. until i i transferred to eku 1993 i met my now wife yeah. And um she was a cradle Catholic out of the Louisville Diocese and um August seventh, nineteen ninety-four, first time I ever laid eyes on her. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those things where you know you just knew. And um uh, one of the few things my mom, I, I I've said this over and over and over. It's one of the few things that my mom ever really said that I believe was one hundred percent true in that you just know. Mm-hmm. You know, you just know when you find that person. And mm-hmm. we were both we were both really children ourselves, yeah. uh, but we had uh, we had grown up really as far as the east is to the west, and mm-hmm. in our faith and our practice in some of our values and what we held true, um, mm-hmm. but you know love kind of trumped all that. Yeah, that's cool. That's good. Can you tell us more about like what is old regular Baptist? So. Casey was raised missionary Baptist. We went to just a Baptist church. Both, but both of those churches belong to the Southern Baptist Convention. Right. So there's there's a lot of similarities in the two churches that we attended. But this seems to be something different. No, it's a lot, a lot that we share. Right. But there's a lot. Yeah. So tell us about that. So if you want to back up to the colonial days, you, you know, you had the regular and the separates that were uh, already forming within the colonies, and they kind of blended in with those particulars from Great Britain. So, uh, so early on, and as they started moving out, um, they kind of migrated down to Southwest Virginia, 
which then, of course, borders along to the eastern Kentucky line, um, eastern Tennessee, which has a lot of the same topography, a lot of the same people, some into North Carolina. And um, you can kind of trace uh, their roots settled in this area in the, uh, right at the turn of the, of the 1800s. What was unique about them is that uh, what made them different, uh, so to say, uh, they weren't always called old regular Baptists. Uh, they were primitive. Uh, there was primitive. There was regular. There was particular, uh, old line, <laughs> old school. You have all these different names. And the one, the first split that happened among them was that the regular Baptist actually started courting mission boards. Yeah. And so it really got into this issue of, are we going to support do we buy into missions? Mm. And so there was a sect that kind of broke off. They distinguished themselves as old, old mm. regular, because they held more to the old line faith. Uh, and, and you know what was really crazy as as they continued to split and splinter, which is, uh, and for anybody that's Baptist on here, I, I was Baptist my entire life. So this is not uh, meant to be in any derogatory uh, uh, statement at all, but especially where I grew up, if there was any kind of disagreement in a church, you would have a splinter. And then now you have mm -hmm. two churches or two religions, two denominations of, of churches. And really you're talking, you're splitting semantics. So as this thing began to split, now we're talking just over the course of maybe 250 years, Mm -hmm. um, they, they began to really have a hard time with things like, um, preachers who, um, were being sent to seminary, Sunday mm -hmm. school, <clears throat> music in church. So I don't know that we really started splitting over doctrinal issues as much as people were just kind of drawing lines in the sand. They were digging in and saying, Hey, so what I actually came from was the old hard line that was anti-mission board, anti-Sunday school. Um, they were anti-music in church. Um, I mean, I, I, I sat here and I actually had to do a little bit of research myself, honestly, uh, yeah. because after a while, it gets so muddy that you don't even know why we're mm -hmm. fighting anymore. Right. To that, um, the point you maybe the main divergence or where it started with the mission boards, maybe tell people what, what that's about. Well, the, uh, there is actually still in existence uh, Baptist uh, faiths and denominations that do not believe in any missionary work of any kind. Mm -hmm. they, they don't believe in sending missionaries out throughout the world to preach the gospel. Um, uh, do they just consider their immediate community who they're ministering the, to? Their immediate community. And I think that some of the, some of the, uh, the thought process on that is, is that, God doesn't need man to spread his message. Okay. <laughs> that the word of God would, uh, that someone in, let's say someone in the, let's use Mexico or in mm -hmm. the Middle East or Africa, somewhere in, a, in, a, in another country. L let's look at it like this. They kind of took the stance that if God wanted that message preached to those people, that he would call someone from among them. To spread his message. He, he didn't need me who didn't speak the language. He wasn't part of the culture that didn't look the same, that didn't sound the same. 
And so they were very, um, to, to put it as nice as I can, I, I honestly believe that at some point it was more important to be right in mm-hmm. their own mind. They had already taken a stand. I mean, the, the real big split, like I don't, re- of course, I wouldn't know anything about those, but something that was uh, the one of the big differences between the old regular and say the free will. Let's get something that's even more modern, like a topic that's even more relevant now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we discussed something a couple, 300 years ago, uh, 200 years ago. Let's mm-hmm. talk about something that's, you know, within this century. There is a split in doctrinal belief between two theological uh, minds of thought. One is the Calvinistic, John Calvin, and his <laughs> Calvinistic uh, doctrine, the, um, the absolute doctrine. Yeah. Uh, so to say, your five points of Calvinism. Mm-hmm. And then where the free wills, the generals, some, most of your Southerns would fall in line with was a doctrine called, Ar- called Armenian. Yeah. Jacobus yeah. Armenian. Free will. Mm-hmm. The free will, the free will of man. So uh, doctrinally, you're looking at even in the old regular Baptist churches themselves, even today you have factions that have really splintered off and said, we're more along the line of the John Calvin side. And mm-hmm. well, no, we're more along the free will of man. So they're still the same denomination, the same sect of people, and they don't worship together. They don't take communion together. You're not invited to attend their churches, but yet they hold the same name banner, which really mm-hmm. causes a lot of confusion. You started to see the decline of that membership over the last 40, 50 years significantly, even in the region. Yeah. So what about your, so your experience with that, where you're all more on the Calvinistic side or the Calvinistic? Calvinistic. That's fascinating. That's fascinating to me because that was a, that was a point of really contention for contention for me as I was coming to the churches in that missionary Baptist, part of the Southern Baptist, you know, variety, we wanted to hold um, once saved, always saved. Or, right. you know, yes. a Calvin, a Calvin might have said perseverance of the saints, right? Correct. You didn't that was the S of Yeah. You the didn't P of the to term. earn it. Yeah. yeah. And so the, he's going to keep you in it and there's nothing you can do to lose it. Um, so we want to hold that. But at the same time, we wanted to hold out for free will. But it was right. like, well, once you're once saved, always saved. I can know. you engage I... that free will to not be? It, so it was a very, for me, it was. It it's really a lot was, to think about. And honestly, it's more than I can write my mind around because that's not how I was raised at all yeah because a good that. point is you went to a Baptist church with me but before that you were not a right I was Christian. non-denominational and no I don't know that like growing up we didn't talk about doctrine things like in yeah. general like it wasn't like things were preached but it wasn't this is what we believe so much you know what I mean yeah Aaron and, I, and if it's and if it's okay with you I, I want to go ahead and comment that if I had been a, just a regular congregant, this probably would not have yeah, even right. been something for me. But because mm-hmm. I was called into the ministry at such a young age, I was always around mm-hmm. these church elders who um, now I don't know how deep you want to go into some of this. And I don't know what mm-hmm. questions are, but I do want to make this uh, difference for anybody that's listening that may be, you know, because it can be confusing. It can be very um you have to be very careful with how you play the words, how you use certain words, because people who believe it, they believe it to the grave. 
Mm-hmm. And it could yes. be, I mean, look, this has split families. It split mm-hmm. churches. It, it has caused more confusion and more contention. But when you mm-hmm. look on the John Calvin side, and mm-hmm. this was this was the side that I was on and that I preached. I was ordained 22 years and had preached about 18 months before that. And really, a majority of my sermons and how I looked at, at the deliverance of man's soul was that God knows them that are his. Mm-hmm. You're looking at the looking standing in the middle of time, and he, he knows them that are his. And mm-hmm. in his time, when he calls them out into repentance, then they will come. They will answer that call. Only he knows who those people are. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. on the other side, on that Calvinistic, I mean, on that um, Armenian side, there is an effectual calling. Mm-hmm. So that the gospel is preached, the light is shined in, uh, the light kind of, um, uh, you know, light, light doesn't change the contents of a room. It mm-hmm. merely reveals what's in it. Yeah. So in, in their case, what they're saying is all the light does is the light of God shines into a, into a dark sinner's heart, and it reveals within him the emptiness that he possesses the absence of God, but it is not until the seed that is sown being Christ that witnesses that then takes up on its life. So then they started splitting. When does that spiritual life begin upon conception Mm -hmm. or birth? And it's the Mm -hmm. same fight we're fighting now with the pro-life pro-choice movement. So those Calvinistic believe that life begins upon conception of the Holy Spirit because God knew who they were from the beginning, and they were always planted with that seed of acceptance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then those on the Armenian side says, well, no, life begins upon the birth, your new birth into Christ. And you choose whether you're going to live that life or not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Once you hear the gospel, you can either reject it or accept it. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I, I can't say that it's silly because to say that it's silly would offend people. It would offend cultures. It would offend people's true convictions in their heart. What I can say for me, what I can say for me is, is that I personally lived a very sheltered. The mountains have a way of sheltering you mm-hmm. from a lot of things and a lot of doctrinal. And especially when you block out the opportunity to or when theology and seminary is discouraged there's a lot of things that you're not opened up to Mm -hmm. and and you really you only believe what you've been taught Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Yeah. Um, so you became catholic in 2018 yes so tell me what what started that i know your wife is catholic i met Mm -hmm. samantha but right was it, I mean, you were married a long time before 2019. Right. So right. what happened there in the middle that started that? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't a mystery when we got married that we were two different religions. I was already in the church. She, of course, she was born in the church. Mm-hmm. And so we, um, I didn't just um, wake up one day and say, wait a minute. I will say the biggest lie I ever told myself. And I actually started writing this in a journal one time, but the biggest lie I ever told myself was I'm marrying Samantha. I'm not marrying the church. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
that shows you the level of thought and naiveness on my part mm-hmm. with what I would truly was getting into. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so my conversion after 22 years in the gospel and um, uh, congregations that I had uh, preached to multiple states did not come with one day waking up and say, hmm, I think today I'm just going to go ahead and be Catholic. Um, because it wasn't it wasn't a shock to me. I'd been to Mass. I'd been to our uh, three of our children had been born and baptized into the church. We'd been through two confirmations. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a secret what I was getting into. But when um, our youngest child was born, uh, he will be 11 in June. Um, our uh, Our schedule was this. Sunday morning, I would get up and drive from Lexington to Hazard, Wattsburg, Pikeville, Prestonsburg, Kingsport, Tennessee, uh, Wise, Virginia, wherever that I was called to to be preaching that particular Sunday. And so after 22 years of really picking up and leaving the family, now Samantha went with me quite a bit. And she probably, I'll give her credit, she went more with me probably than I did with her because I had church obligations. I had, you know, I I felt justified in that because I had congregations to tend to. But it really fell on my heart. I mean, heavy. Was this truly God's plan for me as a minister to, Mm. he had given me a wife, he had blessed me with four children. My, my immortality and my posterity, I look with four boys every single day, and I thought, is this truly God's plan that mm-hmm. we have built these tent poles of faith in our home, mm-hmm. and we teach them, we're teaching them just about the same things, but yet I'm leaving them when it's time, and I was, I was the stranger. Yeah. I was the, I was the, the alien citizen. I was looking in from the outside, looking in to all the grace that God was giving my family. They were getting to take communion together, that everything I was preaching to, I felt like a hypocrite. I'll be honest with you. I felt like a hypocrite because I was telling other people and giving them advice on how to live their life. But yet I was forsaking my own family and leaving them at the altar. And so I began to get burdened and I never really questioned whether I would like the church, um, but it was such a culture shift for me. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Big time. I was I was afraid, even at 44 years old, I was afraid of what the blowback would be. Uh, how can we ever trust anything he ever said? Because he's been preaching to us this long. How could he change his mind? Uh, my parents even came to the point of, what did we do wrong? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. What, what mm-hmm. did we do wrong? We've raised you a certain way, and now you have turned your back. So those were the things that I wrestled with. It wasn't the inward struggle of what was right or wrong uh, biblically. It was more of a fleshly and emotional pull. Mm-hmm. For me, it was the emotional strain. It wasn't the conviction from God. But here's the thing. God's conviction in my life, he gave me a burden that I needeth not to be ashamed of. Mm-hmm. He, he, he drew me the same drawing power that pulled me in uh, as an adult believer to be baptized into the Catholic faith. I mean, into the Baptist faith. I'm sorry. It was the same draw and pull and burden that 
it needeth not to be repented of. It wasn't mm-hmm. a sin, but it was that burden and pull. And yeah. um, I yielded to that. Mm-hmm. And what was amazing to me, it was truly, truly, truly amazing to me, is that when Samantha would go to church with me, she would have to put up with and suffer a lot. A lot of preachers would target her. They would always mm-hmm. put a sermon around, you know, about call no man father except our father in heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, they would always slide in something about, um, you know, uh, Virgin Mary or something that was very stereotypical that they believed. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. They they didn't really know the factual. They right. they didn't really understand the Catholic Church. They were merely regurgitating mm-hmm. what what they had been taught. Mm-hmm. But what I found so unique and interesting, and it was truly was the final straw for me, was that the Catholic Church embraced me. Yeah, mm. right. Yeah. That that the church didn't question me. The church didn't throw mud at me. Mm-hmm. That they accepted me into the marriage ministries. They accepted me. Everything Samantha was a part of, I was the tag along. But at no time did I ever feel like that I was the object of some slur or some smart comment or something that was mm. uh, unnecessary. And she often was. Mm. And it was so off-putting to me that I thought, you know what? I can't even continue to allow the mother of my children to continue mm-hmm. to be beat because what they're not seeing is, and it's my own family, they are not seeing that the procreation of these four boys, they are me. Mm-hmm. So yeah. when they hurt, when they're trying to hurt their mother, mm-hmm. they are destroying, they are killing uh, independent Damon. Yeah, <laughs> they they are chipping away at that, and it became mm-hmm. so. It, it just became to a point that I took a deep breath. Um, I actually went and talked to Father Paul Prable before I even came back and told Samantha because I knew once the feet were in the pool, I was at a point of no return. So this mm-hmm. was a six-year journey for me. Yeah, six years, and it was laborious, and it was mm-hmm. hard to fake. Yeah, right. Me yeah. knowing my heart was not staying, but yet had a commitment. I, I just couldn't, you know, I just couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. You know, that's really powerful. And it reminds me of a, uh, I was watching a, a talk. It was a guy giving his conversion story. And the kind of the key line and what ended up being the title of the talk itself was something like love creates or builds a bridge for truth to pass over. Love builds a bridge for truth to pass over. So, so what you're talking about, what you're witnessing to is the love of the people within the Catholic church, right. And their, their acceptance of you, you know, started to build a bridge to where at the appropriate time, at the time, you know, the point of time truth could then pass over and then you could come into that full communion. Mm -hmm. You can only imagine that the opposite might've been true. If every time you came to something kind of like, you know, Samantha had um, gone through that you had just been pushed out, pushed out, mocked, or, you know, looked down on, I think it's huge. It's a lesson for us all. I I do want to tell you too. um, It's very hard to father teenage boys Mm. or teenagers in general. It's hard. You guys, yeah, no, I'm telling (laughs) you it's coming. Now, it's it's not that it's impossible, but you know, no, we, we were just going to drop them off at your house. 
you should because uh, <laughs> I'm well equipped now. I have uh, Leighton just turned 13. Um, mm-hmm. Our oldest son now will be 26 in November. Mm-hmm. And I remember a little bit of a discipline issue. It wasn't a huge thing, but I was giving him this biblical spiel as the you know as not only his earthly father but as his spiritual advisor and here is what the 17 year old says to me what do you know about it you're not even catholic (laughs) and he wasn't wrong he wasn't wrong it was a disrespectful thing to say right sure but Mm -hmm. there was so much truth in it that in that moment i truly couldn't understand what he was dealing with, with his faith and yeah. his discoverance of who he was. Yeah. Because in his eyes, even though I was his father, I really was uh, an outsider. I didn't get yeah. it. Yeah. You didn't get it quite right. right. That's exactly so yeah. I don't want to get down a rabbit trail here, but I will point out that, you know, you're talking about like having to um, make kind of concessions for your family, putting ministry first. And I'm just going to put this out there that I think that's a big part of why we have a priestly celibacy because it just kind of naturally happens that way that we have to pick one or the other. Somebody's going to need help all the time, Mm -hmm. you know, in ministry or in the family. And so when you have both of those needs, it's just too much to juggle so choosing one over the other and, you know, we could get into a long talk about vocation and how that leads us closer and closer to Christ and to heaven um, as its purpose. But anyway, I'm just gonna- Aaron, I, I will say this, too. I'm a very protective husband mm-hmm. because there's been things that have been done and said. And I can I, I agree with you 100 percent in that respect, because I find myself biased. Towards mm-hmm. things that I feel would hurt her. And mm-hmm. I could see where that that could really become a distraction for uh, a priest mm-hmm. if they were allowed to be married, that if, if their wife, if their natural wife took upon some sort of stance in the church, how hard it would be to maintain a neutrality yeah. and still mm-hmm. be true to the faith itself. What is yeah. what is the best for the greater good? Right. Um I know we'll be cutting it short, but I do want to tell you this. There are some things, though, that I didn't think that I would enjoy. Um, most of the things that, um, and one of our one of our buddies last night at Alpha. So I'm gonna give you an Alpha plug. Um, <laughs> uh, he he actually made a comment. Uh, it's something that a lot of Catholics take for granted. So I can't speak for all Catholics. Um, so no hate mail. But <laughs> one of the things that a lot of longtime or lifetime Catholics, the things that they take for granted are the things that I was attracted to and drawn to mm-hmm. with the church. As a kid, I was never allowed to. We didn't have Sunday school. I think mm-hmm. formation of children. I still don't, you know, with my Baptist beliefs, there are certain things that I still hold in my heart to be right or wrong outside of church teaching. But I no longer see things the way that I used to see because um, I allowed myself to be vulnerable enough to open up and truly explore. And for anyone um, who has even on the fence, even remotely on the fence 
about changing religions, joining the Catholic Church uh, straight off the street, or whether they're straddle fence or if they have any negative connotations. I want to I want to at least uh, say this. Number one, don't believe everything you hear and read. Like for me, none yeah. of it was true. Mm-hmm. Absolutely none of it was yeah. true. I was I was beyond shocked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I wondered at how could I be so wrong at 44 years old when I looked into the conversion, how wrong I was to buy into things that were truly just absolutely blatant lies. Mm-hmm. It wasn't true. That's number one. Um, number two, even if there's something that is semi-questionable, I would encourage anyone, anyone that's on the fence to go and be satisfied for yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. Don't don't stop at what you perceive as happening. You go to mass, you set, you look around. And if you're from a different background, you're going to find, especially if you're looking for it, guys, you're going to find, well, why are they doing that? Well, that's, mm-hmm. that's, yeah. that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. Why would you? <laughs> I'm exhausted. I've been up and down 30 times. I don't get it. I'm allergic to incense. But, <laughs> but uh, I mean, w- what I would say is take the time and take your questions and carve out some time with one, with, with, a, with your, um, with a friend or your significant others priest, mm-hmm. yeah. truly take those concerns because it, it was, I mean, it was a game changer for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was one of the questions I was going to ask, like what, what you would advice you would give to someone, but I also had this written down because hearing your story, we can already tell that Samantha is like saintly. I mean, just putting up with all that. For <laughs> no, a she lot is. Of years. I mean, no, no, it's no, true. No, not with Damon. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I no, mean, it's true. Seriously, I, it's true. I know how it can be in a, in Baptist churches that can be very anti-Catholic. Can you imagine trying to support your husband? Yeah. Trying not to be resentful and like wanting, you know, you always want your spouse to be on the same page with you. More importantly, protect your children. From right. things that you're trying to teach them to keep them from being confused. Uh, I will say it was a, there was a, this book, I think it was this past Christmas, maybe even before that uh, Deacon Tim had handed out. And it was this, mm-hmm. um, you know, this scenario where you're given a, a, a your a job, but you, you oh. have to make one lifetime Catholic. That's your only job. We'll double your salary. You can quit what you're doing, whatever you're mm-hmm. doing. How would you go about doing that? And I, I think Samantha had by far the best answer. It was just off the hip. I mean, she said, I would marry him and wait 22 years. <laughs> because the key, the key mm-hmm. to that, and I say that with a with a little bit of humor in it, mm-hmm. but but we often forget sometimes we want what we want. Mm-hmm. We we truly do. We want what we want. And Samantha with all of her good, all of her flaw, all of her in-betweens, she understood when we got married and the tenets of marriage within the Catholic Church right? and mm-hmm. understood that to her and how she was raised, that that meant forever. It truly meant, you know, I can't just dump him off. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and do whatever I want to and be practical and be in line and be obedience with the church. So she was very patient. 
mm-hmm. very patient. She wasn't always happy. <laughs> and there's a difference. She was very mm-hmm. patient. She never gave me an ultimatum. Mm-hmm. Samantha never told me it's one or the other. Uh, she often questioned why I had to make those trips, mm-hmm. why I felt like, and I think those are natural, natural questions. And now that I look back on them, it was, they were very fair to ask, but Samantha was so patient with me in this journey that I, I truly believe just like um, Hannah was when uh, she was praying and God gave her Samuel, mm-hmm. you know, and she was lamenting these <clears throat> prayers. And there is no doubt in my mind that a number of nights that she went to bed with that on her mind and on her heart, she took that in the closet to prayer. She took that to her to, with her to adoration and in God's time. Right. And it has, um, it, it, he has allowed this thing to come full circle. He's allowed me to mm-hmm. meet you guys. We, we work together. Uh, we share a lot of stories. Um, more importantly, two, from, two former Baptists run the evangelization department. Uh, What's that, that about? <laughs> you know, that in itself is, I mean, it's outrageous. It's comical. It's, it's kind of comical. But in that, there are things that you and I see um, mm-hmm. in, in that defense we have been in on the other side of the fence. And mm-hmm. when I was going through RCIA and I heard people's story, the beauty in all that, Casey and Aaron, the beauty in all of this is that the story is the same. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was in trouble for my sin. It was the charisma. Mm-hmm. I yeah. was in mm-hmm. trouble. Mm-hmm. God created me. Then I got in some trouble mm-hmm. because Adam got in trouble. I got in trouble. <laughs> and ultimately, ultimately, it could be, a, you know, a bird landed on a on a wire and this happened and this miraculous thing happened. But when you peel it all back, what you're going to hear is the same conversion story. It never gets old. Mm-hmm. It's right. worth repeating. And everyone's story, even though they feel that it is unique, it is the same beautiful story that mm-hmm. God rescued me and loved me when I was unlovable. Yeah. Yeah, and so, and and just to harness that, you know, I I feel like a lot of people they might say, "Well, you're a a Baptist convert. You had all these this cool story about you're a minister, and now you're coming to the church. This is so cool." And I'm just a cradle Catholic, and always have been, and Mm -hmm. you know, I've never really fallen away from the faith. But it's like that in itself is a testimony. Like, and if we don't harness them right, then. you know, we're missing opportunities to be effective evangelists to share the gospel because there are people like that, that have not had a huge, Mm -hmm. you know, knock knock you off your pony St. Paul story. But, um, but I will say this, I do think that there are pressures sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, I have seen it. So Mm -hmm. I I can't speak for all, but I have, I have witnessed this myself, Mm -hmm. you know, in the old Baptist church, some places they call it the altar call, or at mm-hmm. the end, you know, every head bow, every eye close, raise your hand, preacher, pray for me. There, there are a lot of those. Mm-hmm. You, I see you, your hand. You. I, I see, see your hand. hand. <laughs> um, also, there is that personal invitation to attach yourself mm-hmm. at the end of church yeah. if God, yeah. and then the preacher gives that same spiel and that open invitation. But what I have seen is I have seen people who have been needled to come before the council and body of the church to attach themselves. And they felt as though they had to tell an outrageous story before the church Mm -hmm. would take them in as members. And Mm -hmm. that's not fair either. No. Mm -hmm. And and I think it does Catholics 
uh, those that have had encounters with Christ, it's not fair to them either. Because mm-hmm. when God works in your heart, he works in it in his own way. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it's just not fair to expect them to have that same. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just not. And, and also, you look at, you hear Catholics say, well, I don't really know how to evangelize. We were never mm-hmm. taught that. That's just right. not something Catholics do. And that goes right back in. They're buying into the same stereotypes that I believed about the Catholics. They yes. go to church. They don't read the Bible. They don't question anything. I have found that to be farther. I couldn't find that farther from the truth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have mm-hmm. found some that are well-read, well-versed, and mm-hmm. it may be eh, I wouldn't even say the word faux pas, but truly, I don't think that they understand when the Apostle Paul was on his journeys, okay? Everything he came about, when he was in front of King Agrippa, when he was he was on trial for his life, he told one story. He mm-hmm. stuck to the one story. Mm-hmm. He didn't make up anything. He didn't divert from that. He only told what he had experienced. And Mm -hmm. and I think that's something that I want people to understand that may be listening is that you don't have to create multiple stories to get Christ's Mm -hmm. story over. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It never gets old. Right. You're exactly right. Don't have to embellish it. (laughs) Amen or ouch. Right. I mean, you don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I see that hand. Yeah, I see you already. I see that hand. All right. Great. Well, that was. That's all the questions I had um, for tonight, and I I really like hearing Damon's story. He's he usually has a lot more jokes than this. I'm a little sad, but anyway. <laughs> oh no, I got some. If you want to bring me back on, we'll have a we'll have a second. Uh, yeah, yeah, but, that sounds good. That sounds, no, good. sounds good. But no, good. I wanted this to be. I, I wanted to make this one count just in case mm. you know after <laughs> our trip tomorrow to Sellersburg that he leaves yeah. me in Sellersburg. I want to at least have it documented. Uh, my whole deal. So I put this down anyway. Yeah, yeah. down in history. That's well, right. awesome. Thank you, Damon, for, no, I for appreciate for you sharing guys. Really this. Fun. Yeah. yeah, it is. It is, and we're, we're appreciative. And I know there's probably somebody out there listening who can really identify with what you're saying. And back mm-hmm. to your point, you know, you shuck it when y'all get shut down to the cob, right? It's the same story, mm-hmm. just yeah. in different contexts. So mm-hmm. uh, definitely, we we want to wrap up this episode with prayer. Mm-hmm. So, Damon, would you like to do us the no, I, I would love to. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Dear God, creative heaven and earth, God, we come to you this day thanking you for the opportunity to share your news, to share your gospel among friends. Lord, we ask you that you would bless those that are listening to this, that they may continue to inquire about you and develop a deeper relationship into you and your son. God, we ask, God, that you would go into the hearts of all those that have a loss, all those that have a joy, the birth of a baby or the death of a loved one. God, we know that your mercies are bountiful. We ask all these blessings and favors in Jesus' name. And amen. 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 Holy Spirit. Amen. And as we always say, folks, Join us right here next time on The The Baptist Baptist Catholic Catholic Show. Show.